Matthew chapter 25. <coughs> Matthew chapter 25. In chapter 24, Jesus it begins to introduce and to speak of some end time events. And he says in verse 36 of 20, chapter 24, he says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And, you know, some generation is going to have to be the generation that's alive when the Lord Jesus returns. It very well could be our generation. In the times of Noah, there was certainly that generation. His generation was the final one that took place before the judgment of the Lord. And uh, there's a really strong possibility, and I believe this with all of my heart, that if God doesn't take us home by way of death in the near future, that we may be on the welcoming committee for the Lord's return. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that that uh, possibility. I know a lot of folks have asked me questions, you know, Pastor, what's what does all this mean? Is it... Uh, is the Lord coming back? And the truth of the matter is this, from, from Jesus himself, no man knows the day or the hour. I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that next Thursday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the Lord's coming back, but he's chosen not to do this. And there are some reasons, I believe, why the Lord has chosen to do this. And then there's some reasons I'm sure that he has that we don't ever know about or think about because his ways are not our ways, neither are his thoughts like our thoughts. And so one thing that we can be certain of is that nobody really knows. Is this the end time? Is this the beginning of the end? And Brother Mark was mentioned before church tonight. He said, boy, I think we're heading towards a World War III here. And the truth of the matter is we don't know. We just don't know. But there's something that we can gain from this because I began to, to spend some time this week, and as Monday and Tuesday came around and the severity of this thing began to escalate. Uh, I had more and more people asking me questions and calling or texting or writing some things. And uh, I began to think, well, what should a Christian be doing during this time? As we see these things happen, what should we be doing? And so Jesus addresses in chapter 24 about the end times. He talks about the fact that the day and the hour <clears throat> knoweth no man. And then he talks about uh, how it was like Noah who didn't know until the uh, the flood came and took them all away. Uh, people were oblivious, even though Noah was preaching. And that's pretty much the day we live in. We have men that are out here preaching, and people just, they're oblivious. They're living their life. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to listen to the things of the Lord. And he charges them in verse number 42 of chapter 24. He says, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then he begins to give some examples. He talks about a master who leaves the goodman of the house and uh, how that the servant does not know uh, when his master is going to return, but how that servant is blessed if when his master does return, the master finds him doing what he was supposed to do. Look in verse number 46 for me. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. What should we be doing during this time? One of, one of the things we need to do is be faithful. We need to be faithful. A lot of people throw their hands up and say, well, uh, the time's coming. Uh, there was a, a group of people, I think it was back in uh, the 80s or 90s, uh, there was a comet that came through, 
and I can't remember which one it was. It might have been the Hale Bop Comet or something. But there was a group of people that were religious-minded, and they, they thought that there were spaceships coming to take them away. And I don't know if you remember all the, the big hoopla about that. And literally, people went and sold everything they had, gave their stuff away, sold their homes, because they literally thought that this was going to happen. Can I tell you this? Jesus never tells us to do that. That's one of the reasons, I believe, that he's told us we don't know the day or the hour. We are to be faithful until the trumpet sounds, until the time comes. We're not to, we're not to, we're not to go and sell everything we have <clears throat> and then go out and sit in our recliner and look up to the sky and wait for his return. We're to be diligent. We're to be doing and being faithful to the things that he's commissioned us to do. And so he shares this illustration. As we get to chapter 25, I want you to notice here that he gives a few things as well. We're going to read the, the first 13 verses. He says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now that's a key statement. I want you to keep that in mind for a minute. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels uh, with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to, to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready, that were ready, went in uh, with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch ye therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour where the Son of Man cometh. <clears throat> There's a couple things when Jesus tells a parable. It's interesting to under, try to understand all that they mean. Not every little nuance of every parable has a spiritual significance, but there are certain keys that certainly do have a significance. The virgins here in this particular uh, uh, passage refers to the life that everybody has. All of us have a life. We have a choice to make. And uh, the preparation of the wise virgins are those that have made preparation prior to uh, the bridegroom coming for his return. They've made ready for when the bridegroom comes. And this would be those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. It's interesting that oftentimes in the Bible, uh, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and uh, that these have oil in their lamps, meaning that they have the Holy Spirit in them uh, if you were to take it and understand the spiritual implication of that. Whereas there were five virgins who did not. They were not saved. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of them. And then the bridegroom, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. In understanding these things, what Jesus is saying here is there are those that are wise that make preparation before the bridegroom comes in order for us to be ready when he comes. And my question is this. I want to ask you this question. Are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? I know that we're sitting here on a Wednesday night, and people are probably sitting there thinking, Pastor, you're talking to the Wednesday night crowd. But I'm going to express this. You will not go to heaven. You will not be allowed in because you're a member of Keith the Heights Baptist Church. You won't. You will not get to heaven because you've been in church most all of your life. Not going to happen. You won't be there because 
you have been active and involved in the church. You've given your money. You've given your time. You've given your effort. And you may pat yourself on the back and say, wow, well, I'll tell you what, God's going to be pleased with me. I'm not asking you those questions. Are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? If he were to come back tonight before we leave this place, and there's a very good chance he could, are you ready? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Does the Holy Spirit of God live and indwell you? Are you certain that you're saved? And I'm not trying to get anybody here to doubt their salvation. But folks, be ready. Be ready. A lot of religious people <coughs> are going to be in hell one day. Jesus said it. He's the one that told us this. He said many, not a lot, not a few, he says many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, very religious people, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He said it again in the parable of the gates. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that enter thereat. But narrow is the, way, narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There's going to be a lot of people who profess the Lord Jesus. My heart breaks from time to time as I come across a video or a clip or something where I see <coughs> some of these large, large <coughs> stadiums of people sitting under what they believe to be true and truth and preaching. And the truth that is being taught in those, uh, in those churches are false truths. They're false doctrines. They're false teachers. And they are leading these people down a road of destruction. And a lot of these people are going to be surprised one day when they stand before God. And they are going to be convinced in their own minds, I've made it. I'm going to go to heaven. God's going to tell them, I never knew you. Are you sure that you're ready? Have you put your absolute faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation, not trusting anything else? Miss Linda asked me before church tonight if I could clean the fan. No, she didn't. She asked if I could find someone to clean the fans and the, and the lights. Can I tell you this? There's going to be a lot of people that may say, I came and I vacuumed the church and I cleaned the bathrooms and I took people to the airport. I had a dear friend of mine passed away when I was a young man. He was my next door neighbor. And um, his name was Danny Noga. He was a Catholic, staunch Catholic. And I remember when he passed, we went to his funeral. And we, the first time I ever was inside of a Catholic church. It was rather interesting. I remember the priest getting up and he said, We know our brother is in heaven because every time somebody needed a ride to the airport, he volunteered to take them. Folks, if that's what he was trusting to get to heaven, then he's not there. I'm thankful my dad many, many times shared the gospel with him. And my hope and my prayer is that somewhere in the quietness of his home, those times where my dad shared the gospel with him, took root, and I hope one day that I get to see him in heaven. But just because a person is religious, just because a person is faithful to their church, just because a person is involved in their, in their meeting, whatever it is, whether it's a church or 
a, a group of people that are coming together. That is not what will get you to heaven. There are those that are foolish, and there are those that are wise. And Jesus refers to those that are wise as those that have made preparation for the bridegroom's return before he returns. He goes on to give the parable of the talents further down in the, in the chapter. And I think there's a lesson to be learned for Christians in this one. That until he comes, we need to be faithful to work the work that he's given to us to do. That we need to be a profitable servant. I hope and pray one day that we will get to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. <coughs> thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. You say, what is the response in a day like this? I've had more people worried and, and concerned. I wouldn't say worried, but concerned and interested and asking the question, is this it? Are we getting close? Folks, we have waited far too long to ask that question. We should live every single day of our lives asking, is this it? Is He coming? This may or may not be it. It may be another thousand years yet before He comes. I sure hope not. But it could be. We're going to look at that in a few moments. But if it is, are you ready? And if it's not, let me charge you with this. May this serve as a wake-up call for us to live every day as though this is it. I heard a wise preacher years ago say, you need to plan your life and, and what you're going to be doing as though Christ is not coming back and you plan out. You don't just sit there and not make plans and not organize your life. But he said you need to live every moment as if he's coming back right now. And I thought, boy, that's a great way to think of it. We're not fatalists. We don't just sit back and say, well, there's no use in doing anything because the Lord's going to come back and I'm just going to wait for Him. No, no, we're to be diligent. He tells us in two different stories, one in chapter 24 of the good men leaving the house and the servant being left behind. We find the other story uh, of the bride, well, three of them, of the bride and the bridegroom, or the virgins and the bridegroom, and we find the story of the parable of the talents. All of them pointing to being ready. Are we ready? If we trust Christ as our Savior... And are we going to be found faithful should He come back tonight? If that sky splits and the trumpet sounds and we immediately in the twinkling of an eye are caught up tonight, are we ready? Are we ready? Is He going to find us watching? Are we ready? Look with me if you will in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to give you a number of things that Peter addresses regarding how we should be living during this time and, and when these things are on the foremost of our hearts and minds, which they should be regularly. Some things that Peter charges us with. Second Peter chapter number 3, if you will. <coughs> Second Peter chapter number 3. And uh, he says this in verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye be mindful, watch this carefully, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He's saying be mindful of them. It doesn't mean that we think of them every once in a while. It means that we're to live 
with it in our minds. Knowing this first, there's a colon there, and it points a magnifying glass, if you will. Every time you see a colon in Scripture, you ought to think of it as a statement being made and then a magnifying glass being used to bring so much more detail vividly into focus on that truth. These are the things the Holy Prophets spoke of that we're supposed to be mindful of. He says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Boy, if that does not define the world we live in today, I don't know what does. People who mock God and the truth of God. In fact, they mock those who put their faith in their trust in God, saying that Christians and those that have faith are weak-minded people. That they have to use their faith as a crutch to live and to survive and to get by. They scoff, they mock, they ridicule. They deny God. Notice what he says here in verse 2. He says, Be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, and then I want you to notice this, walking after their own lusts. I remember writing a paper years ago in the 80s, 1985-86, on the subject of humanism. The idea of humanism is every man is his own moral center. Every man is his own God. He's the one that he, he makes himself the center of the universe. <coughs> humanism is the idea that there is a, a not a, a um, there's not that, that the truth is subjective. That morals are subjective. There is no, there is no um, absolute truth. I mean, the very claim itself goes against its own claim. If there is no absolute truth, then that truth is not even absolute. So there must be some absolute truth somewhere. And I remember writing a paper on this in the 80s, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of a lot of scoffers, a lot of people that are doing what is right in their own eyes. They're following after their ways, and their morals are centered based on what they think. I've talked with people recently in, in the last year or two, a number of times where they've come and they've asked for some advice on some things, and I've taken them to Scripture, and I've said, here's what the Bible says. Because <coughs> I said, I give you my opinion, but I know me, and my opinion is not worth much. And I mean that. It's not. But I do have a Bible that has never failed me. If I follow it, what it says, it always is faithful to me. And I've shared that with them, and I've had them say this, I don't see it that way. I think, and then they go on to tell me what they think. And this is the epitome of humanism and the mindset of those who follow after their own lusts. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about just the immoral lusts of uh, the sexual things that are going on in the world today, but in the, the sense of fleshly appetite. I want what I want. The, the, the mind wants, the heart wants what the heart wants is what a lot of people say. That is a humanist, that is an anti-God, anti-Bible attitude. To say, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. No, no. What we ought to say is, my heart wants what God wants for it. And I've heard Christians even that claim and profess the name of the Lord Jesus that attend churches and hear solid Bible preaching. And, and, and I guess maybe I don't get this sometimes. Well, maybe I do because I think all of us, including this preacher, sometimes have that same problem. How someone can sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God 
and then leave and live as if they didn't hear a word of it. And I, I get frustrated and exasperated sometimes as a pastor doing that, and then I have to look in the mirror and realize, but wait a minute, Greg, you've also read some things in the Scriptures and understood them, and you didn't follow them. The truth is we all have that tendency, don't we? We're all prone to that. That flesh nature always seems to strike, strike its ugly head up and cause us to try to uh, follow after what our lusts are, our desires are in life. This is going to be marked. He tells us, listen, be mindful of this. In the last days, these things are going to characterize society. He says in verse number uh, 4, that these scoffers who walk after their own lusts, here's what they say. They say, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They said, well, you know, you guys have been saying for 2,000 years that the Lord's going to return. Yes. There are two main things I know about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know them without a doubt and absolutely. Number one, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. Number two, we are one day closer to it today than we were yesterday. Those two facts are absolutely true, and I know them for a fact. There are a group of people in these last days, these scoffers the Bible refers to, those that follow after their own lust. Their question is this, where is the promise of His coming? Y'all been saying He promised He'd come, and it's been 2,000 years He hasn't come. You guys are idiots. You guys are crazy for believing that. And that's what their mindset is. This is their heart. This is their mindset. And notice what the verse number 5 says this. For this, because he has, because Christ has tarried His coming for 2,000 years, from the time that Jesus ascended back to heaven, how much time had to elapse for Him to return? He could have come the week after, couldn't he have? Why then has he waited 2,000 years? Peter answers that. But this is what the scoffers are asking. They're like, you guys have been saying this, and the fathers who used to say this, they're all dead and in the grave. Where's this promise of his coming? It, It isn't here yet. So they scoff, and they say, for this, they are what? Willingly ignorant. They're not just ignorant. They're ignorant on purpose, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which now by the same word are kept in store, in that that interesting verse, everybody's worried about global warming and the world deteriorating, all of it is kept in store by the same word that created it. God holds it together. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You say, Pastor, do you believe in global warming? Yes. It's right here in Scripture. Verse number 7. It's not going to happen until God is ready for it to happen. And when it does, it's not going to be one or two degrees centigrade. The Bible says that it's going to be reserved unto fire. Against the day of judgment. There's three things that they're willingly ignorant of. Number one, they are ignorant of the creation of God. They are willingly so. Meaning that they look at the evidence 
and choose not to believe what the evidence states. And thus we have the theory of evolution. They deny creation. Secondly, they deny the flood. They look at the evidence and they choose to deny the flood. Don't believe me? Go to any state college and listen to them in their geology department to teach their students what happened, how all this geology came to be. They're going to deny the creation. They're going to deny the flood. And they do it willingly. They see the evidence. But because they're not willing to, to uh, recognize God in their thinking, they choose. They're scoffers. They follow after their own lusts, their own desires. They don't want a moral absolute in their life. This is their reason. Peter explains all this to us. There's no reason for us to wonder, well, why is all this happening? It is the nature of these men that are going to be found in the last days. The third thing they're willingly ignorant of is the coming judgment of God. They deny it. They deny it. They do not believe that God is going to bring judgment upon this earth. So they come up with things like global warming. We've got to cut carbon emissions. Let me tell you something. You can cut every carbon emission there is in this world. It's not going to stay in the hand of a judging God. The earth is still going to be consumed by fire. Notice what he says in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this thing. In other words, he spent all this chapter saying there's going to be scoffers that are following after their own lusts, and they are going to say, where is the promise of His coming? Since the fathers died and now they're in the grave, they've been saying this, and yet it's not here. And the people that Peter is addressing, they were asking Peter the same question. They might have a point, Peter. What's going on here? We thought, we thought that He was coming. That was 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote this. He says... Verse number 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Don't take that verse out of context. He's not trying to give an exact measurement of time and say this is an exact measurement of time in God's time scale. What he's saying here is God is outside of time. He lives outside of time. There's three things that had to happen simultaneously when the earth was created. There had to be the creation of there had to be a creation of energy, there had to be a creation of matter, and there had to be a creation of time. All three of them had to come into existence at the exact same time. He lives outside of time. He could not have created it if he lived in it. So the 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 thing that Peter's speaking of here is not and I've heard guys get up and say, well, here's how we reconcile evolution with the Bible. Because one day with the Lord is this a thousand years. So there's eons and eons of time in Genesis chapter 1. No, no. Even if they took that, it would only be 6,000 years of evolution before the world was created. 7,000 if you count the day of rest. It wouldn't be billions of years even with that argument. What they're trying to say here, what Peter's trying to say here is, don't be ignorant of this. These scoffers, they're going to say, where is the promise of His coming? Don't be, don't be bogged down with the, the fact that, well, they've been saying this for 2,000 years. There's probably no truth in it because He hasn't come yet. Some kind of promise our God made to us. He said He's coming and it's been 2,000 years. And that's what Peter's trying to say. He said, beloved, be not ignorant of this. Notice what else he says here. The Lord, I love this. 
verse number seven, or verse number nine, I'm sorry. After he says, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years in one day, he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That's something that counts slackness. I want to stop there for a moment, all right? So he says, these scoffers, they're ignorant. They question where is the promise of his coming. It's been thousands of years. It hasn't happened yet. Peter says, I want you to not be ignorant of this, that God is outside of time. He's not sitting there looking at his second hand on his watch, trying to say, okay, ten more seconds, nine, eight. He's not doing that. There is a reason, and Peter tells us what it is, why God has waited 2,000 years. But before he tells us this, he tells them this. Don't, don't, don't be ignorant of this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. He is going to come. If He said He's coming, He's coming. Absolutely, 100% for sure. Well, then why, Peter? He tells us. Let's see what He says. Verse number 9. But is what? Long-suffering. The reason God has waited 2,000 plus years now is because He is long-suffering to usward, to mankind. Long-suffering. Why would He be long-suffering? Peter tells us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody asks you, well, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Where is His return? All you have to say is God loves so many people that He's waiting because He doesn't want any of them to go to hell. Long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But notice verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. He's going to go on and say, as a thief in the night. So he's going to tell us how he comes. But rest assured, he makes the statement, the day of the Lord, (coughs) it will come. I believe Peter here is speaking and using that phrase, the day of the Lord, referring to all of the end time events wrapped into one, from the rapture till the uh, end of the tribulation period. Because notice what he tells us is going to happen in this day of the Lord. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's not going to come announced. He's not going to pre-warn. He's not going to be like the U.S. uh, foreign policy people that tell their enemies, hey, we're coming in three days, you all get ready. He doesn't do that. He's coming suddenly. He's coming imminently. He's coming without warning. He's coming, the Bible says here, as a thief in the night. Now when He comes, and this is part of this day of the Lord time period, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall what? Melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be what? There's global warming right there. All right. If anybody asks you if you believe in global warming, say, absolutely, I found it in Second Peter chapter number 3. But it's not the same global warming you're talking about. It's going to happen, folks. As sure as God's coming back, that judgment is taking place. And as we studied in the book of Revelation, it will be without mixture. Until now, any chastening of the Lord is tempered with His mercy. But during that time, There will be no mercy. They will experience the full and absolute wrath of a holy God against sin. Folks, we would not want anyone to go through that, much less ourselves. 
<clears throat> Seeing then <clears throat> that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all conversation, uh, holy conversation and godliness? This is the question that I've been asked the last week. What manner of persons ought, ought I to be? What should I be doing right now? Is there some? Is this it? Is this the end times? Can I tell you again? We shouldn't have waited till now to ask that question. It's something we ought to ask every single day. What manner of person should I be? Considering the fact that He could come right now. He could come this very moment. Maybe today my Lord will come for me. Maybe today my Savior I shall see. Maybe today from sin I shall be free. Jesus will come and I will go home and it may be today. We need to live with that. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be. Here's two things he gives us right off the bat. In all holy conversation, our life should be marked by holiness. But we're living in a world where a lot of men stand behind pulpits and tell people in their churches, it's okay that you're a sinner and it's okay that you stay that way. That is not what my Bible says. What my Bible says is, it's not okay that you're a sinner. I will accept you anyway so that I can change you and you will not be the same. There needs to be a holiness among God's people. There needs to be a rededication of, uh, of not only reading Scripture, looking for the instruction in holiness, but there needs to be a great revival in our pulpits and a, and a fiery hot message from the Holy Spirit about living holy once again, especially in the time that we live. Seeing that all these things shall come to pass. And Peter's saying, if, when you see all this stuff, what manner of person should you be? You ought to be in all holy conversation. All the time. Every aspect of your life. Holiness. Holiness. And then he says, and godliness. The idea of godliness is not just moral excellence, but it is literally the imitation of God's character. To be as much like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, he said, Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. He said, I want to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my mark. I'm pressing to the mark. I want to conform to His image. I want to be like Him. Do we succeed at it all the time? No. But should it be our heart's desire and it should it be the thing we are pressing for in our life? Absolutely. And especially during times that we believe it's time for His return. Which means that if we live every day expecting today could be the day, we should live holy how often? All the time. We should be godly how often? All the time. Why? Because when the master of the house comes back... I want Him to find me doing what He's asked me to do. Because when the bridegroom comes, I want to make sure I'm ready. Because when the master comes back after giving me talents to use for Him, I want to say, Lord, here's your talents. And here's the fruit that was brought from it. Are we ready? Peter charges these guys. He says, seeing these things... Then that these all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all con- holy conversation and godliness? Here's another thing he tells them to do: looking for and hastening 
under the coming of the day of God. And this is an idea of living with the expectation. I'm looking for it. I remember years ago, my uncle was coming with my cousins. He and my, uh, my aunt uh, from uh, uh, North Carolina. And uh, I couldn't wait. My cousin was just a few months uh, different from me. And, and we had spent the first few years of our lives together, lived in the same town. And we loved playing together. I enjoyed his company. And I couldn't, I heard they were coming and I couldn't wait. And I remember asking my mom all day long, well, they're supposed to be here in the morning. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? I went to church and they're going to come by the church. They're not coming by the house. I went down to the church with my mom and hung out there. And I kept going out to the door, looking out of the driveway. Are they there yet? Looking at the cars coming by. Is that theirs? Is that theirs? Are they here yet? I remember, I remember vividly sitting there on the, almost on the edge of my seat in my mind thinking, are they here yet? I, I'd, I'd ask them, uh, my mom, and I'd say, uh, how far away are they? Well, they just stopped at a rest stop and called and said they'll be here in an hour. So I mean, I set the clock and I was watching. I couldn't wait. And then an hour came and an hour went. And all day long I agonized over that. And they, they, they finally, they pull into the church driveway. And my cousins weren't with them. They were bringing my grandma back. Which I was so thrilled to see my grandma too. But that was the expectation I had. Can I tell you this? I don't think I should ever be any more excited about expectation on this side of heaven of anything that this world has to offer any more than I should be excited about the anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter tells them, this is what you should be doing. Looking for. Watching. I, I want to know when... I, this is it. Maybe today. Maybe today He's coming. I, I want to make sure I'm ready. Maybe today. And then notice He says this. Not only looking for, but He says this. And what? Hasting. We got a lot of work to do. We don't have time to dilly dally. Let's get it done. Let's be diligent. Let's be watchful of Him, and let's let's be doing all that we can and hurrying up and doing all that we can this side of heaven. The truth is, the Bible tells us very clearly that when it comes to how much time we have this side of heaven, it's not a whole lot. In fact, the Bible says this life is a what? A vapor that appeareth for a little while. Then I'm 52 years old, almost 53. Folks, I, I literally, I blinked. And I went from 25 to 53 like that. And some of you are sitting there saying, and you don't know anything yet. From 53 to whatever you are. It went like that. I mean, it's like really fast. Life is brief, doesn't it? Did you ever think you'd be this old? I used to think 50 was old. I used to think that was next to going in the grave. It's looking younger all the time. Don't have a lot of time to waste. Peter says, seeing that these things are going to happen, we need to be looking for Him to come. And we need to be hastening unto the coming of the day of God. We're to do it until He comes back. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, now notice verse 14. Beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, here's some list of things He gives us. How should we be responding during this time? He says, Be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace. Be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace. 
There's a diligence that's to be given. Living with a conscience that is clean and clear. Somebody said it, an old country preacher said it this way, keep short accounts with God. Make sure that there's nothing between your soul and the Savior. Don't linger in sin. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about laying aside every sin and the weight and the sin which doth so what? Easily beset us. doesn't say we easily commit it. Said he easily besets us. We linger in it. We need to be hastening to these things. We need to be diligent of these things. In verse 14, he says, Wherefore, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace. Notice this without spot. Without spot. And what? Blameless. For sake of time, let's go to verse 17. We see what else he charges them to do. Ye, therefore, beloved, Seeing you know these things before, you know them before they're happening. You're aware of them. You're watchful of them. Beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. When these scoffers ridicule, and say, where is the promise of His coming? Y'all have been believing this for 2,000 years. He hasn't showed up yet. Peter says, beware. Beware. You don't want to be led away with the error of those people. You don't want to be led away with where they're wrong on the issue. And trust me, that argument has led more Christians astray from their steadfastness. Oh, they didn't lose their salvation, but they certainly were not being diligent, were they? They certainly were not living godly. They certainly were not living holy. I don't know how many times I've knocked on the door, I've talked with somebody that I've met, and an opportunity came to share the gospel with them, and I said, I'm a preacher, I I preach the gospel, or I go to such and such church, and they say, I used to be a member, and they would name a good church, solid church. I'd say, well, where do you go now? I I don't go now. What happened? They were led away with the error of the wicked. They fell away from their own steadfastness. I I don't know about you, but when the Lord returns, I want to find I want him to find me with my hand cleaving to the plow. Still laboring, still working, still being diligent to be godly, to live a life that is pleasing to Him. I don't want to be found sitting back in my easy chair saying, Well, I just didn't know if you were coming or not because it's been a long time. I figured you weren't coming, so I figured I might as well just enjoy my life. No, no. Beware, Peter says. Because that error, that mindset the scoffers have, saying where is the promise of His coming, that can lead you into a place where you fall away from your own steadfastness. You won't be diligent. You won't live godly. Now notice what he says in verse 18. He gives us a remedy. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us just what not to do. He then gives us, here's what you should do. If I'm going to be diligent, if I'm going to be watchful, if I'm going to be hasting unto the coming day, if I'm going to be pure and without spot, if I'm going to be blameless, if I'm going to be pursuing after the likeness of Christ, here's how I do it. But grow in grace 
Grow in grace. Number two, grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And number three, live a life that will bring glory to Him. Beware. Beware. I'm no doubt that there have been a number of things in the last week that have caused a ton of Christians to sit up and take notice. Probably more so than of any other time in history. I believe, and this is my personal understanding, I believe that there will be some, not many, but I believe there will be some, that are not saved, that will have at some point heard the gospel in their lifetime. Maybe they went to church when they were little. Maybe they had a neighbor that tried to share the gospel with them. And when these events begin to happen, they're going to say, I remember something about that. I need to go find that person out. I need to make sure I'm ready. My charge to you is this. Are you ready? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And I know I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd, but folks, wouldn't it be a travesty? Wouldn't it be a travesty to be this faithful and still be lost? To be that close to the threshold of heaven and miss it. Because we trusted something other than what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. My second question is, are you ready? It's the same question, but this time intended for Christians. Have we fallen away from our own steadfastness? Have we gotten lackadaisical? Have we grown apathetic because it's been 2,000 years? Because I'm 52 years old and I was told in Sunday school when I was a kid, well, he could come at any time, but it's been 52 years he hadn't come yet. I feel like some of these people Peter was writing to. I better go to Scripture. And I better understand this and not be ignorant of it. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. The reason He's done this is He's long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Seeing that I know these things, I need to be steadfast. I need to be hasting. I need to be looking for His coming. I need to be pure. I need to be without spot, blameless. I need to have holiness. I need to have godliness. I need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to charge you. Live every day this way. Don't wait until someone attacks Israel and it gets on the news for you to start wondering, how should I be doing these things? Live every day this way. Because the truth of the matter is this. No man knows the day or the hour. Not you, not me. So we better be ready. Let's stand together. Father, I've done my best tonight to bring what Your Word has said. That we so often either become callous to. Maybe we just grow cold-hearted about it. Maybe we just get so enamored and entangled with the affairs of this world that we, we don't take the time to think of Your imminent return. We don't take the time to recognize and realize that the judgment of God is going to come. 
And Lord, while we are so thankful and grateful for Your grace, and while we understand the truth that You're not willing that any of them should perish, but that all should come to repentance, You're not a hateful God, but You are a holy God and a just God, and that judgment will have to happen. And Lord, knowing these things, may we be diligent. May we be hastening the day. May we not only hasten and work diligently in our lives and how we should live, but may we also hasten